Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lifted up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. And if you wouldn't mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the book of 2 Samuel. The book of 2 Samuel and chapter number 10. The book of 2 Samuel and chapter number 10. We are continuing to go through the life and ministry of David. And we've already seen earlier in his life as he was fleeing from Saul and God had promised him to be king. And now finally he is king. He's now established himself king over all of Israel. He's established Jerusalem as the new capital. And now he's seeing victories all around him. In addition, he's been trying to be a blessing to people such as Mephibosheth, which we had saw on Sunday morning. Now as time is going on, we can see that David is continuing to desire to be a blessing and to be a help to those around him. He tried to be a blessing to Mephibosheth because of Jonathan. And now he reaches out to one of Israel's neighbors. And we find this account in the book of 2 Samuel chapter number 10. The book of 2 Samuel in chapter number 10. And notice with me if you don't mind in verse number one. 2 Samuel chapter number 10 in verse number one, the Bible says this, and it came to pass after this that the king of the children of Ammon died, and Hunan his son reigned in his stead. Then said David, I will show kindness unto Hunan the son of Nahash, as his father showed kindness unto me. And David sent to comfort him by the hand of his servants for his father. And David's servants came into the land of the children of Ammon. And the princes of the children of Ammon said unto Hunan, their Lord, thinkest thou that David doth honor thy father? And he hath sent comforters unto thee? Hath not David rather sent his servants unto thee to search the city and to spy it out and to overthrow it? Wherefore Hunan took David's servants and shaved off one half of their beards and cut off their garments in the middle, even to their buttocks, and sent them away. And when it told it to, unto David, he sent to meet them because the men were greatly ashamed. And the king said, tarry at Jericho until your beards be grown, then return. And when the children of Ammon saw that they stank before David, the children of Ammon sent and hired the Syrians of Betharab and the Syrians of Zoabah, 20,000 footmen and of King Maacah, of 12,000 of Ishtab, 12,000 men. When David heard of it, he sent Joab and all the host of the mighty men. And the children of Ammon came out and put the battle in array at the entering in of the gate. And the Syrians of Zobah and of Rechab and of Ishtab and of Maacah were by themselves in the field. 
When Joab saw that the front of the battle was against him before and behind, he chose all of the choice men of Israel and put them in array against the Syrians. And the rest of the people he delivered into the hand of Abishai his brother, that he might put them in array against the children of Ammon. And he said, If the Syrians be too strong for me, then thou shalt help me. But if the children of Ammon be too strong for thee, then I will come and help thee. Be of good courage, and let us play the men for our people. For the city is of our God, and the Lord do that which seemeth him good. And Joab drew nigh, and the people that were with him, unto the battle against the Syrians, and they fled before him. And when the children of Ammon saw that the Syrians were fled, then fled they also before Abishai and entered into the city. So Joab returned from the children of Ammon and came to Jerusalem. And when the Syrians saw that they were spent before Israel, they gathered themselves together. And Hadazerah sent and brought out the Syrians that were beyond the river, and they came to Helium. And Sobak, the captain of the host of Hadarazer, went before them. And when it was told David, he gathered all Israel together and passed over Jordan and came to Helium. And the Syrians set themselves in array against David and fought with him. And the Syrians fled before Israel, and David slew the men of 700 chariots of the Syrians, 40,000 horsemen, and smote Sobak, the captain of their host, who died there. And when all the kings that were servants of Hadarazar saw that they were smit before Israel, they made peace with Israel and served them. So the Syrians feared to help the children of Ammon anymore. And if you're in the habit of marking things in your Bible, would you mark a phrase that we find in the book of 2 Samuel chapter number 10? 2 Samuel chapter number 10, and notice this longer phrase that is found in verse number 11. Notice this, but if the children of Ammon be too strong for thee, then I will come and help thee. If the children of Ammon be too strong for thee, then I will come and help thee. And with the Lord's help, I want to take that as my title. If they be too strong for thee, then I will come and help thee. If they be too strong for thee, I will come and help thee. If you don't mind, let's go to the Lord together and let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you again for you being a wonderful God. And as we come to you now, I'm just asking that you would just give us wisdom and give us discernment, and that you would give us encouragement. We understand that we're in a spiritual battle. We understand that the battle rages and ebbs and flows, but we're in a battle. We also know that we're not in the battle alone. I'm asking as we go through here that we would be encouraged by your word and be encouraged practically for our own spiritual life and for those around us. I'm asking that you would just open up your Bible in a special way. And again, because I know that I am unable, once again, I just take everything that I have, my goals, my ambitions, my desires, I set them aside, give them to you, and ask that you fill me with your precious spirit for the purpose that you get your own work accomplished through your precious word. And we love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 
Well, again, as I said before, this started with an idea that David wanted to be a blessing to those around him. If you don't mind, the very first thing I'd like to point out here is that the enemy misused them. The enemy misused them. So David looks to the king of Ammon and we could see that the king of Ammon, he dies. So David, with a good nature, with innocent intentions, sends some representatives to the king of Ammon to comfort him during his father's loss. Notice with me in verse number 1, 2 Samuel chapter 10 and verse 1. And it came to pass after this that the king of the children of Ammon died, and Hunnam his son reigned in his stead. Then said David, I will show kindness unto Hunnam, unto the, the son of Naash, as his father showed kindness to me. Now let's pause there. What was this kindness that he showed? Well, if you remember back in 1 Samuel, when David David was fleeing from his life that the king of Ammon actually sent some help David's way. Now it wasn't because he thought David was a good guy. He just thought it would be a good way to needle and stick it to Saul because he didn't like Saul at all. And so it wasn't the idea that he was supporting David as much as he was going against Saul. But David is taking kindness as kindness and saying thank you. And he wants to reimburse this. But there's something about... Uh, <coughs> Men who are not right as they expect other people not to be right. And so what occurs is that the David sends the, the people there to comfort him. Pick it up in verse 2 in the middle of it. And David sent to comfort him by the hand of his servants for his father. And David's servants came to the land of the children of Ammon. And the princes of the children of Ammon said unto Hunan, their lord, Thinkest thou that David doth honor thy father? And that he sendeth comforters unto thee? Hath not David rather sent his servants unto thee to search the city, to spy it out, and to overthrow it? So the advisors come to this brand new king and said, David's not here to thank you. He's here to spy out the land. He thinks you're weak. He wants to see what all battlements we have. He wants to see the troops. And they're here to plan on destroying the city. You can't hold this. You need to show that you're king. Well, again, people who are not right expect others not to be right. David did it with innocent of intentions, with a desire to be a blessing to someone who is a blessing to him. But instead, it doesn't turn out that way. So not only do they realize or they think in their own imaginations that these people are come to spy out in the land, they probably don't have the best reaction to this. What do they do? Verse number four. Wherefore Hunnam took David's servants and shaved off one half of their beards. Now for the Hebrew male, their beard was a, a, a mark of prestige and honor. And so what they did is they took the men tied them up, bound them, and they shaved half of their beard. Now what happens here is now you're either going to walk around for a while with half a beard until it grows out and look all wonky, and that's a good southern word, wonky, looking all disheveled, looking all messed up, or you finish the dishonor and shave off the rest of your beard yourself. So imagine this choice. You either go out in public looking like a fool or you finish dishonoring yourself. What a horrible choice that would be. What are you going to do? Are you going to shave it off or are you going to keep it? Not only that, they tore half their garments. So if you can imagine you're wearing your ambassador's outfit, 
And they tore it in half. So you're wearing half of your ambassador's outfit. The rest of you is exposed. And then they said, get out of the city. Imagine walking home like this. Half beard, half clothes. They were mistreated. What a horrible incident that occurred. Now again, imagine if someone did that to the United States of America. We send ambassadors to Canada. Now they're too nice. Maybe we send them to somewhere else. And they send them home with half their hair shaved, their eyebrows shaved, their clothes all torn, and send them back. How do you think our country would respond when it makes the news, if it makes the news? How do you think people would respond? It probably wouldn't be a good response. So David is going to have to do something. And the people, the uh, polls of that day, the public opinion is not favorable. Notice as it goes on. Verse number five. And when they told, when they told it to David, he met them. Notice they didn't come to Jerusalem. David went all the way to Jericho, which was the first city right outside the Jordan River. And that's where he met the men. He looked at them, saw their beards, realized that this was not good. Verse number five. And when they told it to David, he sent to meet them because the men were greatly ashamed. This idea of ashamed here carries the idea that they were humiliated. They were mistreated. They were abused. And the king said, tarry at Jericho until your beards be grown, then return. So you go back to doing your post after you get your beard done. So David made the decision for them. Just kind of hold up here. We'll take care of you. Let your beards grow back out. Then we'll get you back on duty. So what we see here is that the enemy misused them. Now what we see here is that the enemy had a plan against them. So after this, notice with me in verse 6. And when the children of Ammon saw that they stank before David. This idea of stank carries the idea of what you would think, just a bad smell. What happened is that everyone in Israel heard about what occurred. And they're upset. They're demanding David do something about this. They are very much not pro-Ammon right now. You're not having people that are supporting the Ammonite cause. People are upset that they would do this. And so when the Ammonites realized that their plan, I don't know what their plan was, but what it did is it rallied up Israel. Israel's not happy. They decided they're going to go ahead and mobilize their army. Notice what happens, verse 6. And when the children of Ammon saw that they stank before David, the children of Ammon sent and hired the Syrians. And then it gives a list of all these Syrians that joined together. What is happening is that they hired mercenary by the thousands, by the tens of thousands. So they have brought two armies together. The armies of the country of Ammon and the armies of Syria, and they've put them together. The idea is that two against one, two armies versus Israel, we're going to make sure we're not going to lose. Israel could do whatever they want. Verse number seven, and when David heard of it, he sent Joab. Remember, Joab is now his general, and all the host of the mighty men. Now, it's interesting to mark the mighty men. That will come up a little bit later in some sermons later on, but here, it's not just the uh, low guys. This is the people by faith that have been used of God to support David for all of these years against Saul, against these other armies. These are the best of the best troops leading the, um, <coughs> the troops. David is making sure the best are being sent out. Notice with me in verse number 8. And the children of Ammon came in 
or came out and put the battle array at the entering in of the gate. And the Syrians of Zobah and Rechabah and Ishtab and Maacar were by themselves in the field. So what happened is that the commander of the the combined coalition forces of Ammon and Syrian decided they were going to split their forces one on one side, one on the other side to squish them together in a pincer movement to go ahead and make it so Israel was fighting on two fronts and not just one. We figured that we would outnumber them, would outflank them. Now, we could see that we started off with the enemy misused them. Then we could see that the enemy had a plan against them But we can also see this, the enemy fled against them. The enemy fled from them. Now what happens is Joab, who was a great general, besides all of his faults, besides him being a murderer, besides him not being right with the Lord, one thing was clear, he was good at his job. And so he reads the field, verse number 9. When Joab saw that the front of the battle was against him before and behind, he chose all the choice men of Israel and put them array against the Syrians. And the rest of the people he delivered in the hands of Abishai, his brother, that he might put them in array against the children of Ammon. So Joab reads the field. He sees what's going on. And he grabs all the best guys which would be fewer in number, but he puts them in his side. Then he puts the majority of the people who are not as experienced with his brother Abishai, so that way they could go against both fronts. Then notice as he gives this instruction, verse number 11. And he said, if the Syrians be too strong for me, then thou, Abishai, come help me. But if the children of Ammon be too strong for thee, then I will come and help. So here's the instructions. If the battle starts pushing against one side, the other side will help support. So we could continue both to be strong in the battle. We're going to fight. We're going to continue to go on. We're going to make sure that that none of us retreat. We're going to stay in the battle. He follows up verse 12. Be of good courage and let us play the men for our people and for the cities of our God. And the Lord do that which seemeth good to him. So he says, what we're going to do is that we got a plan now. We're going to support each other. But you be of good courage. You keep looking up to the Lord. He says, we're going to trust God in the battle. If he chooses to let things fight, it's not because we didn't do our part. It's because God chose it that way. But if God chooses to win, that's up to him. We're going to leave the battle in the Lord's hands. We're just going to do what we're supposed to do. And what happens is that sure enough, when the both forces, they're expecting Israel to be weak and afraid. But when they start fighting, they realize that both fronts are secure. The children of Ammon run against Joab and the rest of the mighty men. And the Ammonites said, oh, forget this. And they start taking off. Well, the Syrians see that the Ammonites who hired them take off. Well, there's no reason for us to continue to fight. And so they bailed. And so what happened is that we could see the enemy was defeated. They fled. Why did they flee? Because it wasn't just one weak front they could take advantage of. But the armies were supporting one another. Now this is the history part of it. Let me bring you to the practical part of this. What's the principle we draw from here? In fact, that's the last thing we have here. Is the principle that we can apply from here. The principle we can apply. First of all, we understand this. We are all in a battle. 
we are all in a battle. If you have accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, congratulations, you've enlisted in the Lord's army. You are part of it, whether you like it or not. You are in a spiritual warfare. Every single one of you. And you understand that Satan hates you. And he wants to make you where you're ineffective. The Bible gives a warning in the book of Peter. That it says that we're to be sober. Be vigilant. For your adversary, the devil, it says that he, as a roaring lion, you know what he wants to do? He's seeking who he can devour. The word devour carries the idea to make disappear. You know what Satan wants to do? He wants you to make disappear. He wants people to disappear from soul winning. He wants people to disappear on Wednesday night service. He wants people to disappear from service. He wants you to disappear from being effective. That is his goal is to make people disappear. This is a spiritual warfare. And every single one of us is in a battle. Now we understand the battle ebbs and flows. But the battle does not stop. There is never a time where you are not in the battle. There may be some times where you have some relief. And you are able to, to get some rest in the Lord. But the battle doesn't stop. But every single one of us is in the battle. The second idea that we want to understand here as we apply this principle is that if the battle gets too much for a brother, lend him a hand and strengthen him. That if the battle gets too much for a brother, lend him a hand and strengthen him. Now we're all in a battle. It doesn't stop. But there are some times that someone's getting weak. Now remember what is happening here is that the two armies of Ammon and the Syrians are split for the purpose of trying to find somewhere that's weak, some area that's weak, some front that's weak. And you understand, we all get weak. We all get weak. Let me tell you, we all get weak. It doesn't matter how spiritually strong you are, the battle gets tough sometimes. Let me tell you a secret. Pastors get spiritually weak. Pastors' wives get spiritually weak. Missionaries get spiritually weak. Good church people who have been faithful for 20 years can get weak. Because the battle rages and Satan's doing everything he can to pound you. May I say there's nothing wrong with being weak? Because it happens. The battle rages. But we have a response that if you see a brother that's getting pounded in the spiritual warfare, don't say, nope, I've got my own problems, I'm dealing with my own thing, and let the brother disappear. Let that sister disappear. Let them crumble under the weight. We're supposed to support them and encourage them and keep that front strong because Satan can't overturn the church. Not a, remember, a church is not destroyed from without. It always collapses from the inside. When we don't support, when we don't encourage, when we don't help. This is the principle we get here. And this is a principle that's given throughout the scriptures. If you don't mind, may I take you to a few places just to nail home this principle? Notice with me, if you don't mind, the gospel record of Luke. The gospel record of Luke in chapter 22. The gospel record of Luke chapter 22. In the gospel record of Luke chapter 22, Jesus Christ is about ready to go to the cross. He is preparing to go to the cross and he's taking his disciples and giving them some last minute instructions. 
And in the gospel record of Luke chapter 22, he deals primarily with one disciple in a specific way. Notice with me in the gospel record of Luke chapter 22. And notice with me in verse number 31. The gospel record of Luke chapter 22 and verse number 31. Notice this. And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desire to have you that he may sift you like wheat. Now, I understand that most people don't understand what a sifter is. It's something we use back in the old day to sift flour, to separate the grain from the kernel. You sift it. And here he's telling telling. Jesus is telling Peter that Satan has a desire to sift you. He carries that same idea to make you disappear, to make you go. He's trying to separate you out. He's trying to make you weak. He's trying to make you where you're useless. But notice verse 32. But I, notice who's that I there. That's Jesus. But I, Jesus, have prayed for thee. There's no greater spiritual strength than to know that Jesus is praying for you. Notice this. But I have prayed for thee, and that thy faith faileth not. Here's the picture. Satan's trying to weaken Peter. And Peter's going to get weak. He doesn't realize it now. He thinks he's strong. But Jesus realized the battle's going to get overwhelming in just a bit. And he's going to get strong. You know, it's not just that Peter denied Jesus. We know that he's going to deny Jesus. You want to know when the real spiritual battle started to begin after that? was how he responded after that failure. It's one thing for Jesus to deny Jesus uh, for Peter to deny Jesus three times. But does he quit the ministry? I've failed Jesus, that's it, I'm done. That's exactly what Satan wanted. He wanted Peter to be gone. He said, I'm praying for you, Peter. I pray for thee that thy faith failed not. And when thou art converted, strengthen the brethren. So Peter, you're fixing to go through a spiritual trial that you can't even imagine. And after you go through that, you're going to have to respond properly. But I'm praying that when thou art converted, and by the way, that was a conversion process for Peter. It went from from him just being a disciple to him being a leader in the spiritual warfare. For him being a leader there. He says, when thou art converted, then guess what? Strengthen the brethren. By the way, this is fulfilled when Peter is used to pen 1 Peter and 2 Peter, which are both books that are preparing the people for the persecutions that's right over the hilltop. And he's trying to prepare them so they can withstand the spiritual war that is fixing to overtake them. The persecutions. When it's going to be illegal to be a Christian. When becoming a Christian, you can lose your house. You can lose your job. You can lose your life. That now is the time to prepare and to behave like a Christian before it becomes hard. And he's saying, strengthen the brethren, strengthen them up so they don't disappear, so they are not sifted, so they don't go. So what is the principle here? Peter, you're going to go through something and I'm praying for you that you fail not, that your, that your faith fail not. But then when you're converted, you strengthen other brethren in the fight. Notice with me as we go to the book of 1 Corinthians. The book of 1 Corinthians chapter number 12. In the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 12, the Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is writing to the church of Corinth that has a lot of divisions. What is happening is that this church is so divided, and they have their eyes off the Lord, and they have their eyes on each other. They have the people that says, I'm of Paul. 
Well, I'm of Apollos. Well, I'm of Cephas. And I'm of Jesus. And the Paul crowd that said, I'm with Paul. He founded the church. This is the way things have always been done. And this is how it's always going to be done. Then you have the Apollos crowd. This is the one that follows their favorite evangelist. Well, this is what my favorite preacher says. This is what I'm going to do. This is what we should do. Preacher, let me tell you, you're doing all things wrong. This is how the evangelist says. This is how that guy says it. Then you have, I'm of Cephas. Now, Peter had never even showed up to Corinth. But yet people are saying, I follow Peter. I don't know about you, but I follow Peter. And it carries the idea with these people here is that they want to follow how the church of Jerusalem is. They want to follow the Judaizers. They want to follow tradition. Well, this is how that big church and the other side of the country does things. This is what we ought to do. And then you have the worst crowd. They try to sound super spiritual. I'm of Christ. But when they say I'm of Christ, they're saying we are the only ones that follow Jesus. You don't. And this is the divisions within the church of Corinth. That they're having people that are infighting and trying to say who's more spiritual than the others. No one has their eyes on the Lord. So God under, <laughs> uses pen, or Paul to pen this passage in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 12 in order to strengthen the brethren because that infighting is going to cause the church to fall apart. Notice as he gives this illustration. Let's pick it up in verse number 12. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 12 verse 12. For as the body is one and hath many members and all the members of that one body being many are one body so also is Christ. For by one spirit we are baptized in one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we bond or free, and have been made to drink of one spirit. For the body is not one member, but many. If the foot shall say, because I'm not the hand, I'm not of the body, therefore is it not of the body? So here it's given the illustration that the body of Christ, the local church, is made up of a body. And it's made of many members. And so you got the foot. You know, the foot is not as prestigious as the hand. The hand gets all the credit, right? We clap with our hand. We wave with our hand. We shake hands. When's the last time you shook someone's foot, right? <laughs> so it doesn't get all the, the prestige. It's not as nice. You know, you don't, <laughs> we have the wedding ring on, on the hand. People can see that. A girl gets engaged and she makes sure she shows her hand off. But the feet don't get all that credit. They got shoes. They're covered up. And so the foot says, well, I'm not the hand. Therefore, I'm not the body. I'm going home. Well, can your foot just walk off and leave you? Would that not cause problems later on? Well, of course, your whole body's important. Everyone has a different function, but it's all important. The foot can't just say, well, forget it. You guys don't treat me like the hand. I'm going away. That affects the whole body. Notice as it goes on. Verse 16, and if the ear shall say, because I'm not the eye, I am not of the body. Therefore, is it not of the body? If your ear says, well, listen here, I'm not as pretty as the eye. The eye is the window of the soul. Everyone looks at what color eyes you have and looks in your eye. When's the last time you're talking to someone and you just keep looking at their ear? I mean, that's not how we do things. But your ear gets offended. Well, no one pays attention to me. They don't look at me like they look someone else. Forget it. I'm just not... Your, your ear just can't walk off and leave. It has its own function. Notice as it goes on, verse 17. If the whole body were an eye, where would, where would the healing? 
hearing. Or if the whole was a hearing, where is the smelling? You understand that every part has its own function. It may not all get the prestige that you think it ought to have, but it all has a function. Your hand's important, but your body's more than a hand. Can you function all day if all you had was a hand? What about <laughs> you didn't have a nose? I mean, eating would be bland. You'd have issues. You didn't have ears. Well, you know, you have a mouth, but you can't hear. You understand that we're all made to put together to function in a certain way. And without a certain part of the body, you can function without a certain part of the body, but not the way that it was intended. Amen. Sure, someone could get around without a foot, but is it inconvenient not to have a foot? Absolutely. Can someone get, out, get by without an eye? Yes, but is it inconvenient not to have it? Yes, absolutely. Now, Hath God set the members, every one of them, in the body as it hath pleased him? By the way, who was God that put people in the different, who was the one that put people in positions? It was God. And if they were all one member, where the body? Now they are many members, yet one body. The eye cannot say unto the hand, I have no need of thee, nor of the head to the feet, but I have no need of you. Nay, much more those members of the body which seem to be feeble are necessary. And those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, upon these we bestow more abundant honor and our uncomely parts have more abundant comeliness. When you start to realize that your eyes may be pretty but you have your feet are very necessary, well then you start to appreciate your feet. When you realize that all that your body parts do. Well, I've never seen my liver, so I don't know if it's any good. Well, take out the liver and you'll find out that, you know, it has important, you'll wish you had it back. You understand, we need to appreciate everyone that they all have a function. And when you do that, it's helping to restore and encourage the entire body. Notice as we go on, verse 25. <clears throat> now, therefore, there should be no schism in the body, but if the members should have the same care for one another. Whether one member suffer, all the members suffer with it. Or if one member be honored, all the members be honored with it. Now ye are the body of Christ and members particular. Here it's talking about if one member is hurting, it doesn't affect the whole body. You say, I don't think so. Then go stub your toe and see how if it doesn't affect your whole body. Or the dreaded paper cut. I'd rather have a broken bone than a paper cut sometimes. You understand, you let one of your body parts hurt and it affects your whole health. Well, the same thing with the church. If someone is struggling spiritually, it affects the health of the whole body. Therefore, with that idea, we should be looking to strengthen all parts of our body. So we function correctly. One last passage here, and we look to the book of Galatians chapter 6. The book of Galatians, chapter 6. <laughs> the book of Galatians, chapter 6, and verse number 1. Galatians 6, and verse number 1. Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual... Restore such a one in the spirit of weakness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Here it's a command that those that think they're spiritually strong 
to purposely help out those that are spiritually weak, including those that have fallen, to pick them up, to get them back, to get them so that way they can be fighting again, so they can engage in the spiritual warfare. Remember, Satan's goal is to make us disappear. Someone who has fallen hasn't disappeared yet, but they're falling under the load. We have the responsibility, especially if you think you're spiritually strong at the moment, to help someone else. If the enemy be too much for thee, then I will come and help you. Here is the principle here. The problem we have is that we get so consumed with our own issues and our own problems. And remember, the battle rages on. You are not going to have a time where you're not under a spiritual load. You're not going to have a time where you're not in the battle. But there are some people that need the strength. And you need to help them out. We have within our church people who are under very real illnesses. We need to pray for them. There are people in our church that are struggling spiritually. I mean, they may have a smile on their face. They may say that they're fine, but they're not fine. We need to strengthen them up, help them up. You may never know what just putting your arm around someone and praying for someone might do. We need to be so discerning and so self-absorbed that we could see others when they're struggling and help them. So that way they're not broken. If you go back to the battle, what would happen if Abishai's group failed? Then Joab's group would fail. If another Christian inside of that's around you fails, it will affect you. We have the responsibility to strengthen others. It's not every man for himself, but we're in it together. As one body, as one family, as one church. Doing what God has given us to do. As we lead into our prayer time tonight. I'm going to ask you not necessarily to pray for yourself tonight. But maybe there's someone, maybe off the prayer list. Maybe there's someone that you know. But you may need to take some time to pray for that person. Maybe that person's in here. And you need to pull them aside and pray for them. Maybe there's a child as you look at the children and everything they go through. And you may pray for them to be, remain spiritually strong. Maybe there's someone that you know is struggling with someone. We're not trying to gossip or anything. But maybe you know someone that's struggling. Maybe you want to pull them aside and say, let me pray for you. And if someone wants to pray for you, let them. But you understand, this is what should be happening. In a normal, healthy church it should be commonplace to see people pulling other people aside and praying for them. It should be commonplace that people are praying for others, calling them up and saying, I'm letting you know I'm praying for you. It should be commonplace. It should be something that is done because we have to keep each other spiritually strong, keep them looking up to the Lord. And if you find someone getting weak and you do nothing about it and they fall, you have something to blame because you could have helped. You could have helped. If they be too strong for thee, then I will come and help. 
Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920 Five three zero six three zero eight. Once again, that number is nine two zero five three zero six three zero eight. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you.